Okay, well, it's good to be out tonight, and good to see everybody out with us tonight. We do have those that are visiting. Of course, we've got Aaron and Mari back with us tonight, and good to see Adam and Jenny Daniels back here. They're from University Heights, and they're passing down uh, uh, Adam's uh, uh, parents live down in Albany, and it's great to have them. And uh, anyway, Steve and Mary Wallace, hadn't seen them for several years, and they popped in tonight, and we're glad to have them. And uh, anyway, just good to have each and every one, and uh, I hope that you'll get your Bible and follow along as we study together. Uh, we begin our study here in John chapter 1. We're going to begin by reading the first five verses. John chapter 1, verses 1 through 5. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men, and the light shined in darkness, and the darkness overcame it not. And so we title our lesson as we look at these first five verses that describe Jesus, talking about five views or five pictures of Jesus. So you can just count them on your hand. And uh, looking at Jesus from different angles. It's sort of like uh, Tom, uh, he's up here leading singing. All right, so Tom's a song leader. Tom's a dad. Tom's a grandfather. Tom's a builder. Tom's an uncle. Are we talking about lots of different guys? No, we're just looking at Tom from different angles of different perspectives. And when we talk about Jesus and what's described here in John chapter 1, we're looking at Jesus, different angles and aspects of these five views or these five pictures. And so that's what we'll be studying about here this evening. The five views or the five pictures of Jesus. The first one is that Jesus is God. It says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Now we know who the Word is because verse 14 says, and the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory as the glory of the only begotten of the Father. So Jesus, it says, the Word was God. Not that He was God the Father or God the Holy Spirit. There are different personalities in the one Godhead, but He was divine. He, his divinity, His deity is what's being described here by John. The Word was God. And so that's the first point that we want to talk about. Not that he was a God, our Jehovah's Witnesses friend, and their mistranslation, they say, and the word was a God. But if you say the word was a God, as opposed to the God, so then you have a multiplicity of gods. And so that wouldn't make sense when the Bible describes the oneness of God, that there's only one God, that is one eternal Godhead. That is a plurality of persons. And that, of course, is implied when you read Genesis chapter 1, when God said, let us make man after our image. Us and I are plural pronouns, the correct use of plural pronouns, not the, the woke version where somebody says, my, my pronouns are, are we, they, that, that, that's, that's crazy. No, what, when it says that, that God, God said, let us, Talking about the plurality of the pers uh, uh, plurality of personalities in the one Godhead. So we're talking about Jesus, that he was part of the eternal Godhead. And there are lots of verses that affirm it. We see that here in John chapter 1. And the word was God. Notice there in the book of uh, Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2, Paul talking about the, necessi uh, the, uh, the necessity of humility in verses 1 through 4. And then he says, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God. Now that word form is, 
It's kind of interesting. It's the ideal to be identified with the exact nature. Not that he was sort of like, kind of like. No, he was in the form of God. That is, identified with the exact nature of God. Thought it not a thing to be grasped to be equal with God. And, but made himself of no reputation. That is, Jesus did not divest himself of his deity but the expression of his deity in that he humbled himself taking upon him a tabernacle of flesh and submitted his will to the will of the father as he came to do God's will here upon planet earth made himself of no reputation took upon him the form of a servant not sort of like a servant not something kind of like no form same word as found in verse 6 identified with the exact nature of a, of a servant or a slave. He took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of man and being found in fashion as a man. He humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. So Paul also affirms the deity, the Godship, that Jesus is deity or divinity. Isaiah chapter 9. Isaiah chapter 9, a prophecy of Jesus. It says, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called. Now, did, did you notice it says name? It didn't say names, but it gives all kinds of descriptive terms, talking about Jesus and this prophecy, and his name, that is identified with its character. That's the idea of name. It, it's talking about the essence and the character of what one is. And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God. The everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Now, those who say that Jesus really wasn't divine, that he wasn't deity, oh, well, he's the mighty God. See, Jehovah God, now he's the almighty God. And so they try to make a distinction of a big God, little God, and that's not true. Because if you look in Isaiah chapter 10 and verse 20 and 21, it talks about Jehovah and it calls him the mighty God in Isaiah chapter 10, talking about Jehovah. Same term used about Jesus, the mighty God. He is divinity. He was God in the flesh. Notice there in Hebrews chapter 1, the Hebrew writer talks at length about uh, the special uh, <clears throat> uh, position that Jesus has. It's uh, in contrast to the angels. It says, but unto the Son, he says, your throne, O God, is forever and ever. A scepter of righteousness is the scepter of your kingdom. So here in this prophecy about Jesus, your throne... What? Oh, God. So Jesus is described as God, his divinity. And then notice there in Matthew chapter 9, here's another interesting text that affirms his deity, his divinity, being part of the eternal Godhead. <clears throat> and behold, they brought, unto, brought to him a man, sick, a paralytic, a paralytic a lying on a bed. And Jesus, seeing their face, said unto the paralytic, uh, Son, be of good cheer. Your sins are forgiven you. And behold, certain of the scribes said within themselves, This man blasphemes, because he's granting forgiveness. And Jesus, knowing their thoughts, well, who but God could know the thoughts of somebody else? Well, that, that would be Jesus, because he was God in the flesh. Why think you evil in your hearts? Well, why you have these bad thoughts about me? For which is easier to say, Your sins be forgiven you, or to say, Arise and walk? Because to have the capacity to forgive would be an act of God. But to say arise and walk, that would also be an act of God. 
If you have the power to say, arise and walk, that shows divine power. And if you could forgive, that would show divine power. And so Jesus, he says in verse 6, but that you may know that the Son of Man has power on the earth to forgive sins. Then said he to the paralytic, arise, take up your bed, and go into your house. Therefore, he is showing by this divine miracle the power to heal, which is the power of God that he had, that he, yeah, he can forgive because he was God in the flesh. And then notice there in the book of 1 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 16, and without doubt, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifest in the flesh. The mystery of how Jesus came into tabernacle of flesh, born of, in the womb of Mary, uh, conceived in the womb of Mary and, and developed and was born as a little babe and grew up as a child. And, and I mean, Can you explain that? No. Explain. I just know the fact and reality of it. Jesus was born of the Virgin Mary, and it was a miraculous birth, and he grew up, and, and but he was Emmanuel, God with us. He was God in the flesh. God was manifest in the flesh, justified in the spirit, seen of angels, preached unto the Gentiles, believed on in the world, received up in glory. So that's pretty comforting to know that our Savior Jesus, that he is part of deity, of divinity. And so we look at Jesus and we see that he is God. And so, you know, God can do a lot of things. We see that manifest throughout the scriptures of, of his capacity of doing things. And so what Jesus says, well, we can count on that because he was God in the flesh. But then we go back to John chapter 1. And it says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God, and the Word was God. Jesus is called the Word. So Jesus is the Word. Now, now, what do we use words for? We use words to communicate our thoughts, our feelings, what we're thinking, what, how, how we feel, our priorities, what, what we understand, what, what we desire. I mean, it's not like, mm, you know, about telepathy, you know, I'm sending a message to somebody. It doesn't work like that. Or like in the old Star Trek, Dr. Spock, you know, putting his hand up to somebody's, you know, side of their forehead and like communicating information. It, it doesn't happen like that. And God, Jesus is, is the word because he's the perfect expression of what God, God is and what God wants and God, God's character and what God thinks. Uh, I mean, nobody's been up in heaven what well, Jesus was and and so how would we know well God reveals it through his son Jesus he's the perfect re representation of what God is all about notice there in John chapter 1 in the beginning was the word he's the, he's the word he, he explains what God's all about and notice there in, in John chapter 14 this is super interesting this passage here in John chapter 14 number 8 and 9 Philip says unto him that is unto Jesus Lord Show us the Father, and that will satisfy. Well, you know, if you could just, you just show us God. Just somehow, and, and some of the miraculous things you've done, if you, if you could just show us God. Maybe, like, show us a video, or uh, kind of break open and let us just look at, peer in, and to see God. Show us God. That will be satisfied. And here's Jesus' response. Have I not been so long time with you, and yet have you not known me, Philip? <clears throat> He that has seen me has seen the Father. And how say you then, show us the Father? If they would have been looking and thinking about the life of Jesus, his attitude, his word, the way he taught, the way he dealt with people, 
you know, is, is on there, always doing the right thing. Uh, even in difficult situations, he, 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 he did things, the, uh, you know, the, uh, because he was here doing the Father's will. He was the perfect representation of what God's all about. And if you could see in the life of Jesus, and when we study the life of Jesus through the gospel accounts, we come to understand what God's all about, of how he feels and how he treats people and what his desires are in the person of Jesus Christ. Notice there in Colossians chapter 1, in Colossians chapter 1, verse 15, who is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. He is the image of the invisible God. I mean, we can't see God. You know, uh, Philip says, show us the Father, you know, like give a special telescope to let us look at this invisible God. No. Jesus is the perfect representation of God. That is, he was in a tabernacle of flesh and what he did, how he acted, how he did things, etc. You see what God's all about and how God feels and thinks as you look at the person of Jesus. He is the image of the invisible God. And then there in Hebrews chapter 1, the writer affirms that also. <clears throat> when he says, God, who at many times and in various manners spake in times past unto the fathers by the prophets, hath in these last days spoken to us by his Son, whom he hath appointed heir of all things, by whom also he made the world, who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person and upholding all things by the word of his power when he had by himself purged our sins, sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. That phrase there in verse 3, he is the express image of his person. If you want to know what God looks at, we look at Jesus. And this word express image is actually where we get our word character. It's like if you're in a typeset or like you're like stamping something, you know, you got the little markings there like they do at the post office. They stamp your letter. Sometimes they'll do it. And, and that, that image, you know, they put the ink on there. And when they stamp the letter, it's exactly what that uh, writing there is, the date and all that and the post office address and all that. It's the exact image, the exact character, the, the exact carbon copy. You know, you look at one side, you look at the other, it's... it's and that's the way it is. We, 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 we look at Jesus, and, and it's like the, 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 like the mere image of God because he's the word. He's, he's the perfect expression of what God feels and what God thinks and what God wants as you look at the person of Jesus Christ. And so we look at Jesus and we see him as the word, that he manifested what God wants for us and what God desires for us as we ponder about him being the word. All right, let's go back to John chapter 1. <clears throat> in John chapter 1, in the beginning was the word. That says that Jesus is eternal. In the beginning, not the beginning of Jesus, not the beginning of God, but in the beginning, like Genesis chapter 1 and verse 1, that Jesus is there at the beginning of planet earth of the heavens and the earth in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth the beginning the commencement the, the the origin of the heaven and the earth and then all the things that came after all, all these created things that came it talks about at the beginning but but Jesus he precedes that because he's the one that will be the maker and we'll look at that next but he was at the beginning Jesus, therefore, is eternal. You know, sometimes people will say, 
Well, where did God come from? I say, well, that's easy. God came from X. Oh, thank you for explaining that. I've, I've wondered all my life where God, oh, God came from X. And what's your next question going to be? Well, where did X come from? That would be your next question. That would be a logical question. And I say, well, okay, X came from Y. Oh, so X came from Y and God came from X. Okay, that explains it. What's your next question? Well, where did Y come from? You see, there has to be a first uncaused cause. And the only thing that makes logical sense, common sense, that 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 was God. God always existed. And he's the intelligent creature. He's the in intelligent creator. It's not that by, big, by the Big Bang, by dumb luck and blind chance, and, and by the theory of evolution, uh, that's how we all got here. That, that doesn't make sense. That, you know, some people talk about the fact of evolution. That it's not really accurate. But it depends what you mean by evolution. Evolution can have variations of meaning. If you talk about chemical evolution, that is life springing life from non-life, that's one definition, but that, that hasn't been shown uh, other than what God did. And if you talk about the general theory of evolution, that is from a little one cell that we become uh, like an amoeba and then, you know, and then a fish and then a reptile and then, you know, a mammal and then a monkey and then man, well, that's all make-believe, that's just... You know, that, that's all, that, that, that can't demonstrate that. But if you talk about evolution, that is limited change within, you know, like dogs or cows or horses. Yeah, there, there, there's that special evolution that is general change, but within, within a species, the, even the Bible talks about that in the book of Genesis, so there's not a problem about that. But to say that, well, you know, these dogs, you know, they made it, and all of a sudden they started having... Baby lion. Now, if you could do that, well, you might have a point, but that don't happen, you see. So what, what do you mean by evolution? And, but really, there has to be a first, first uncaused cause. Something has to be here always. And the only thing that really makes sense would be God, that he's everlasting, and that he was the intelligent being that brought all these things to pass. And Jesus goes back, to the beginning, not the beginning of God, but the beginning of the world, the beginning of the planet, the beginning of the sun, the beginning of animals, the beginning of human beings, all that described in Genesis chapters 1 and 2 as we, uh, we'll look at here in a few moments. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And so God, he brought all these things to pass. Notice there in uh, Psalm 90 and verse 2, before the mountains were formed, and we've got plenty of mountains, our mountains are small. There's a lot bigger mountains around the world. Before the mountains were brought forth, or ever you, you formed the earth and the world, even from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. So God is eternal. He's always been here. There in John chapter 8, and verse 58, this is an interesting statement of Jesus. Jesus said unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, before Abraham was, that is, he came into existence. I am. You see, before Abraham, he could say, well, before there was planet Earth, I am. He could, he could make that statement. Before, before Adam and Eve, I am. 
But he says it in specific about Abraham. But it, it, the same would be across the board. I am. And this phrase, I am, it takes on the nature of being eternal. Look over there in the book of Exodus chapter 3. In Exodus chapter 3, remember Moses, he, he, he sees this burning bush, which not necessarily totally unusual, but what was unusual, like, well, it just keeps burning and burning and burning. I mean, you, 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 you burn a brush pile and, you know, it flames up and then, well, then it burn, burns down and burns out. But here the bushes just keep burning. Well, this is an unusual sight. So he goes over and checks it out and God begins to speak to him and calls him that he's going to lead his people. And he says, well, now when I go talk to him, well, who am I going to say? And that's where we pick up here in verse 13. And Moses said unto God, Behold, when I come unto the children of Israel, and shall say unto them, The God of your fathers has sent me unto you, and they shall say to me, <clears throat> What is his name? What shall I say unto them? And God said unto Moses, I am that I am. And he said, Thus you shall say unto the children of Israel, I am has sent me unto you. I am existent it's, 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 it's similar to the phrase Jehovah if you look at the term Jehovah or Yahweh the tetragrammaton uh, that's used some 6,000 times or so in the Old Testament it means the existent one the alone existent and that is when he says I am that I am not that I was not that I will be, but I am. He always existed. When we look at human beings, and when we think about human beings, you go to the graveyard and you're going to see two dates. And over here on the left, on the, on the tombstone, it's going to talk about, well, when they began, when they were born. And then there'll be another date, and, well, when they come to an end, and that was the end of their life. Or you look at buildings, and you look up the history of that, well, you know, they laid the foundation, and they'll talk about when the building was built. And so you've got beginning points, and maybe it's still existing, or maybe it's uh, fallen down or whatever. Uh, but God, I am. I exist. I didn't come into existence. I've always existed. I am. I'm always present. I'm the lone existent one. Before there was the beginning, that is of earth and sun and moon and people and and dogs and cats and horses and, and everything on earth. God was the alone existent one. He existed. He's eternal. That's the nature. And Jesus is identified as part uh, of the Godhead. At the, in the beginning was the Word. And the Word was God and the Word was God. In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. The beginning of what? We're talking about the beginning of the planet. We're talking about the beginning of, uh, of the heavens and the earth and you know, the physical things. But before that beginning, the commencement of those things, that God has always existed. I am. <clears throat> and so Jesus is eternal. And he's going to be able to give us eternal life. Something else we see in John chapter 1. Let's go back there in John chapter 1. Notice there in verses 4, four and 5. In him was life. Oh, excuse me, verse 3. All things were made by him. And without him was not anything made that was made. Verse 3. So Jesus is creator. He's the one that made everything. Uh, he, made the, he made the mountains. Yeah, he, he made the oceans. 
He made the planet. He made the moon. He made Mars. He made Venus. He made Jupiter. He made Saturn. He made gravity. He made uh, reproduction. He made human beings. He made animals. I mean, you read all about that of his creative uh, ability. All things were made by him. And without him uh, was not anything made that was made. If it was a made thing, well, Jesus made it. Whether it's visible or invisible, you know. Whether you're talking about giraffes or elephants, he made them. Gravity. We understand that. If gravity, you, know, you drop this uh, remote and it's going to fall down. Gravity's going to pull it down to, toward the earth. And, you know, that's, that's normal, natural. And Jesus made that. Everything that was made, as we, we think of the physical realm and, and, and invisible things like the spectrums of life, in, infrared and ultraviolet, he made those spectrums of light also, the visible light, etc. He made the laws of physics. He made all these things. And that's what it says. All things were made by him, and without him was not anything made that was made. There in the book of, uh, oh, oh, excuse me. There in the book of Ephesians, <clears throat> there in Ephesians chapter 3. Look there in Ephesians chapter 3. And notice down there in verse 9, talking about, again, Jesus and, and, and his place in creation. In Ephesians chapter 3, and notice there in number 9, <clears throat> uh, oh, I'm in Philippians. Ephesians chapter 3, and down in verse 9, and to make all men see what is the fellowship of the mystery, which was uh, from the beginning of the world, had been hid in God, who created all things by Jesus Christ. So Jesus, God, it's like God commands, and Jesus was the one that brought it to pass. All things were made by Jesus Christ. He's the one that actually made the things. There in Colossians chapter 1, beginning verse 15, we looked at that a while ago. Who is the image of the invisible God? The firstborn of all creation. And that word firstborn just carries the idea that he has preeminence over creation. Well, why does he have preeminence? Because he's the one who made all things. For by him, that is by Jesus, were all things created that are in heaven and that are in earth. Visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or, or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created by him and for him. So, so, so we look at the sun, this, this, this uh, nuclear fission and fusion of hydrogen and helium, and it just burns and burns and burns and emanates so much energy and heat. And uh, Well, who did that? Well, Jesus did that. He's the one that made the sun. And he placed the earth at the right distance. If we were a little further, we'd be freezing to death. If we a little closer, we'd be burning up. And he's the one who made all these things, the visible and invisible things. And he is before all things, and by him all things are held together. So not only, not only is he the creator, the maker of all these things, but he's also the sustainer, keeps all these things in order. We're not sitting worried and fret about, you know, well, you know, we're going to have gravity. And it's like, whoa, whoa, be careful. Whoa, there's no gravity here. And so we need to put that yellow tape around here because if you step over here, there's no gravity. You go, whoop, you're going to go up and bam, hit your head on the ceiling up here. And we don't want nobody bopping their head bad. No, <laughs> gravity's everywhere. We have confidence in that. You know, Thursday was the winter solstice. Well, who changes the seasons? Well, Jesus upholds all things by the word of his power. That's the promise that he made to Noah after the flood, that seed time and harvest, cold and heat, summer, winter, day and night, shall not cease while the earth remains. 
what's implied while the earth remains, there's going to come a time when the earth will not remain. Because at the coming, second coming of Jesus, all things will end as we step into eternity in the day of judgment. All will be burned up. Second Peter chapter 3 describes that. But while they remain, while the earth remains, that's like while we're living. You know, seed time and heat, cold and heat, summer and winter. That's talking about the four seasons, the day and night. It regularly changes. Today was pretty nice, almost like spring. But you know, we're going to have cold weather, and sometimes in the midst of cold weather, they go, is it ever going to warm up? Don't worry about it. It's under control. It's all going to warm back up. And when it's hot and muggy in the summer, we think, man, is it ever going to cool up? Yep, don't worry about it. Season's going to change. It's going to turn into fall. It's going to cool up. Jesus is in control of all that. He made the seasons and he controls the season. He controls gravity, the sunrise and sunset. You read Genesis chapter 1 about making all these things. He made light and he made the first day and he divided the waters and the land and he made the animals and he made the plants and, and he made reproduction and he made human beings. As we uh, mentioned there about God said, let us make man in our heaven. So he's the creator of all these things. That's another picture of Jesus. So Jesus is God. Jesus is the Word. Jesus is eternal. Jesus is the Creator. And one more as we go back to uh, John chapter 1. Notice there in John chapter 1, 4 and 5, In Him was life, and the life was the light of men, and the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness overcame it not. A.T. Robinson and his word pictures, he just says that light and life are just sort of used interchangeably. And yeah, that does, I think that's an accurate, accurate assessment. Uh, a little bit different figures, but sort of interchanged, talking about Jesus as life. He's light. I mean, without light, without the sun, we'd all die. We'd survive for a while, but uh, ultimately we'd all just freeze over and ultimately die. So we've got to have light of the sun that uh, makes life possible here on planet earth that's the problem going to mars it's too far away and well, they don't have all the stuff we need to breathe and so you have to take and you don't can't go out they don't have walmarts up there anyway <laughs> they don't even grow vegetables up there so you're gonna have to take your food with you <coughs> if they ever do it but it's not it's not our habitation our habitation's here on planet earth i mean went to the moon but same same problem no air no no, no food and all kinds of problems up there. So life, but in Christ Jesus we have life. We have light, and Jesus, of course, provides all these abundant blessings for us. So that's what he affirms there in John chapter one. Uh, notice there in John chapter eight, <clears throat> verse twelve. Then spake Jesus again unto them, saying, "I am the light of the world. He that follows me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life." We have the light of life. You, you see, what, when we're in Christ, we have light. We're illuminated. We see. We know which way to go. We know what to do. It's like in the midst of a dark room. What do you do? It's like, well, you sort of move pretty slow trying to feel your way. Unless you're super familiar with your, well, your own house, you can do it pretty good. Maybe walk. But generally, we're sort of feeling our way, you know, kind of groping and feeling. Be sure we don't trip over something, fall over something. We need light. It's bad to be in darkness. But Jesus illuminates. Darkness 
would describe the domain of Satan, of, of wrong and wickedness. In Christ Jesus, we have life and we have light. Notice there in John chapter uh, 9 and verse 5, As long as I'm in the world, I am the light of the world. Jesus brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. Jesus illuminates our way. Uh, the Bible is described in Psalms that uh, thy word is a lamp unto my pa uh, path and a light unto my way. It's like, uh, it's like a flashlight. We think of a flashlight or a candle or a torch. You know, it, gives, it illuminates so we, we know which way to go. And that's the way Jesus is. He, he illuminates us. Notice there in John chapter 12, in verse 35 and 36, Jesus says, uh, Yet a little while, uh, yet a little uh, a little while is the light with you. Walk while you have the light, lest darkness come upon you. For he that walks in darkness knows not where he goes. While you have light, believe in the light, that you may be the children of the light. And so we want to walk in the light of Jesus Christ, walking in his ways and his precepts and his, uh, and his teaching because they illuminate, they show us the way to go, they show us how to live, how to act, how to behave, how to think, how, how to go. Uh, we find this illumination in Christ Jesus as he has shown us the way. And then notice there in 1 John chapter 1, in verses 5 through 7, This then is the message which we have heard of him, and declare unto you that God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. There's no obscurity in darkness. It's not like we're in the light, you know, we go into another room. Well, it's all dark. No, God, there is no darkness about God. If we, say, if we say that we have fellowship with Him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not the truth. But if we walk in the light as He is in the light, we have fellowship one with another and the blood of Jesus Christ, His Son, cleanses from all sin. And so we have this great illumination, these blessings of illumination in Christ Jesus that we find light and light. And so we look at Jesus, we, we, we look at these pictures of Jesus that are described here in John chapter 1. And that gives us confidence to put our trust, our total trust and confidence in him and his ways and his teaching because he knows what's best he knows what he's talking about he has the power it's like okay uh, you know lucky lucky that you came tonight because after church i'm going to write everybody a five million dollar check i might write you a check and you know what's going to happen it's going to it's going to bounce because <laughs> there's not five million dollars in my checking account I could write everybody a check, but it'd be worthless. Now, when Jesus makes a promise, I'm going to give you eternal life. Well, we can count on that. We can bank on that. He can make the check good. He can make his promises good. He just doesn't whistle Dixie. He doesn't just say things and give empty promises. He speaks reality. He speaks truth. Because he's God. Because he's the perfect expression of what God's all about. Because he's eternal. He was here before there was ever a planet Earth. And before there were ever people, he's always existed. And he's the one that made us. He understands us. It's like if you make something, it's like you kind of know the ins and outs because you're the creator of it. And he understands us. And, of course, he is, he's the one that brings us life and light and illumination. Great promises. So, as we think about Jesus, uh, will you come to this Jesus that we talked about? He's, he's your creator. He's God. He was God in the flesh. He came and offered himself as a sacrifice to satisfy the justice of God that we could be forgiven. And he gives us some pretty simple steps. That is that we hear this good news about Jesus, that we believe upon him, that he is the Christ, 
that we believe in his death, burial, and resurrection, we're willing to uh, repent and turn, as turn from wrongdoing and turn to God, both of that involve in repentance, that we're willing to confess him before men and then to be baptized, which is an immersion, uh, buried with him in baptism, just like we bury people in the grave. We put them down under the dirt, under the earth. Well, that's how we bury people in baptism. And then we come up out of that watery grave, grow and be faithful, and if we do err, come back to repentance and prayer. We're going to sing this song to your encouragement. What will your answer be? Only you're going to be able to answer that, and only you're going to have to give an account in the day of judgment. And if you're here and you need to respond to heaven's invitation and become a child of God, and we can help you that in, come and let us know while together as we stand and as we sing.